Hello and welcome to episode two of my podcast, Recapping Game of Thrones. I'm Frank Melifrante, and I'm here with my oldest friend in the world, Kevin Blomberg. Kevin, thanks for being a guest. So excited. Of course, anytime. This is going to be really fun. I was really looking for somebody uh, like Kevin who is a close watcher of the episodes like Ankit was last season so that we can really get into this stuff. Because I've got a lot to say. Me too. I, I took a whole page of notes. As I, we talked about last episode, this this is Game of Thrones on double speed. Instead of that methodical pace that they've been going at, this is, we've got a lot of plot to get through. Let's just oh, yeah. fucking get started. Yeah. And like, the plot is coming hard and fast at us. The time jump in the beginning where it's just like, an immediate, like, they are like, we're sending a raven. Next scene, oh, here's the raven. Yeah. None of this, like, oh, let's wait three episodes. Oh, hey, that raven that we sent? Yeah, now it finally showed up. Those were the days. Yes. <laughs> so let's get started. There's only 15 episodes left, right? Starting from episode one. There was going to be eight this season and seven next season. That's it. So the strategies of both sides, we have Danny's strategy, which is set by Tyrion, mm -hmm. that the Dornish and the Tyrells are going to siege King's Landing, and the Unsullied are going to take Casterly Rock. Are the Dothraki with the Unsullied, or are the Dothraki just hanging out at um, where the dragon... That Dragon is not keep. not officially said, but I'm pretty sure when he says that the Unsullied are going, that they're going by themselves. Hmm. And that Danny is keeping the Dothraki for herself. You know, they're not, we don't actually see, I haven't seen a horse on Dragonstone anywhere. No. So I don't know where the heck these Dothraki are anyway. No. But... They're supposed to be there, and they're supposed to be also your normal kind of men-at-arms, like the people of Marine, I guess, that have decided mm -hmm. to join Danny. some of these, like, ex-slaves. Yeah. But those are mostly, like, the cannon fodder. Pretty much. I'd love to see the Dothraki actually in action, but so far we haven't seen a single instance of them being used in battle. So, I no. mean, un until that happens, Danny's power is Unsullied plus Dragons. And the Encelid are supposed to be the best army in the world. It's supposed to be the best soldiers. Mm -hmm. And she has supposedly a little less than 10,000. She originally had 10,000, then give or take the losses that she suffered over the time. So she might have like 8,000, 9,000 Unsullied. Yeah. And they're going to go and take Castle Rock. Yeah, that's Tyrion's plan. And Cersei's plan, I guess, is what? We don't really know yet. We know that Grey, the Greyjoy fleet is going to do something for her. To get that gift. This um, gift thing, yeah. Yeah. And we have a good idea about what that is. Yeah, I totally, at the beginning when that whole scene happened, I was like, okay, the gift has to be a person. Not only that, but my next thought was, okay, well, if he's going to get a person, who is he getting? And then... The biggest thing in my main, and you talked about this last episode, which was the whole like dragons versus ships, wooden ships. Like that's obviously, as we saw in the, what is it, Butcher's Bay, the Battle of Butcher's Bay, uh, or Slaver's Bay. Slaver's, Slaver's Bay. Bay. Yeah. Um, that ships and dragon fire just don't go well together. So yeah. Um, yeah. clearly they've got to come up with something to, to stop the dragon. And then we see the whole um, ballista mechanism. Yeah, so I guess that's supposed to be the, the dragon countermeasure. Yeah. Uh, originally, you know, I thought because of the books that – because in the books, Euron Greyjoy has this horn that we're pretty sure controls dragons. But I'm oh. pretty sure they just got rid of that. Interesting. Yeah, that's like his whole thing is that he finds this horn in Valyria, which is like the place where the dragons come from, which is like a, mm -hmm. a ruin now. There's like volcanoes that exploded and stuff. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a ruin and it's like a ghost land. No one lives there. So apparently he went there 
and he found this horn that when you blow it, the person who blows it dies, but then like whoever they serve, the person who blew the horn then controls dragons, the dragons that hear the noise. But they're not doing that. So I guess Euron is just basically, he's got this navy, and he's going to go get somebody. We're not sure what. Well, we did at the end of the episode, but we can get, we'll get to that later. Do you like this strategy? We don't really know what Cersei's strategy is. No. No, we have no idea. She has not let on. She just is like, everyone's against us. And then she's like, well, we'll just kill them all. And then that's when Jamie is like, okay, well, you know, we kind of need allies. And then we see him go around and try and convince people like, yeah, Cersei's crazy, but we also need help. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. So he convinces Sam's father, yeah, Randall Tarley, to join them. Yeah. What was his argument? He'd sworn an oath to both the Tyrells and to the Crown. Yeah. And so I guess Tarley decides to choose to go with the Crown. I mean, that really could have gone either way. Yeah. I'm not really sure why one way or the other he would decide to choose to, to stick with the Lannisters over the Tyrells? He probably just doesn't want, I mean, we don't know. I mean, at least I don't know a lot about the whole Tarly kingdom. Like they are never really mentioned. Like the house of, he was, I remember, if I remember correctly in the episode, it was a small house. It didn't, it didn't have a lot of stuff. Like they weren't known as being like, like being rich or having a really good army or anything like that that some of these other houses are known for. So I have no idea about the Tarleys at all. So the Tarleys are, yeah, just a minor house, but Randall Tarley is just known as the best soldier in the realm. Because whoever is the head of basically the richest, most powerful house is almost always going to be the commander in one sense, right? But then he's going to have generals. And so, like, Jamie is usually a general, but yes. then this guy, Tarly, is almost always the guy who's in charge of an army. And he's okay. known to be the only guy that defeated Robert Baratheon in a battle. Okay. So he's also, like, a master strategist, basically? I wouldn't say a strategist. I think he's a great leader and maybe just, like, a tactician. Okay. But generally, he's, he's, he's hard-nosed. He is just very all about the rules and all about honor and doesn't see the like the way Sam does, like all sides of something. Right. He just sees this is the way things are. This is the way they're supposed to and be. That's and that's yeah. it. And he's just apparently very skilled as just a military commander. Yeah. So maybe okay. just like a tactician, I think, you know, like more battlefield yeah. stuff. Okay, um, so like on the field rather yeah. than being like, okay, well, I'm going to send my army over here. Okay, yeah, got it. That doesn't really seem like something he does. When you have a big army in Game of Thrones, usually, you know, Randall will be commanding the vanguard, which is usually your all cavalry force, which mm -hmm. is like the first wave of your army. Right. Like the, 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 the front line. Yeah. Usually Randall is, is on the front line of your army. And so it's a good thing to have him on your side because also he's a very well-respected person that maybe would be able to sway some of the t other Tyrell bannermen to support the Lannisters over mm -hmm. the Tyrells. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, you know, they don't, I'm not sure how much they've really gone into this because they, they haven't really emphasized the fact that the Lannisters don't have any more gold in the show, which I don't really, I never really understood because they're originally they supposed to have these famously wealthy gold mines, uh -huh. but apparently they've all run dry. So they don't have any money left from that. Okay. So the nuts and bolts of how they're paying their soldiers and whatever, like, I'm not really sure. There was this scene a couple of, a couple of years ago where they had the Iron Bank guy come, you know, and then Stannis went to the Iron Bank. So there's like this Iron Bank thing that like maybe they're still financing the, the, the crown. Mm -hmm. But it's not really clear. But the Tyrells have all the money now because they're kind of like the breadbasket of Westeros. So it's really good that Danny has the Tyrell on yeah, her. They should have the largest army and the most finances. Okay. But so it's definitely good also for Jamie to be able to get Randall to, to stay with 
the Lannisters? Well, I definitely think that if Jamie didn't go out and talk to him, um, who knows what would have happened? Because I really wasn't sure that that guy was going to be sticking with the Lannisters based off of, based off of what the whole conversation that happened with him and Jamie and Cersei. So yeah. he definitely this episode, I am definitely seeing major Mad King flags going up left and right. Oh, with yeah. her. So let's just talk about that. Cersei has just gone to crazy town. Yeah. Well, cause all her children have either she's, killed them inadvertently due to, to craziness yeah. or they've gotten killed because they hate Cersei um, or they just suck in Joffrey's case. Obviously, we've talked about this before. That was the only thing that ever humanized Cersei. And now she's just a megalomaniac. Yes, exactly. But yeah, she wasn't thinking about getting Randall Tarly. That was all no. Jamie. Because, again, Jamie is a strategist, and he thinks a little more long-term than Cersei. He just, I don't know how she ended up on the Iron Throne. I think just sheer force of will and craziness. But he does not have the, like, oh, well, okay, I can't say that. She does have a little bit of foresight and is thinking long-term. But I definitely think now that is gone, like, he is blinded now just by rage and revenge. And as the famous Klingon saying goes, revenge is a dish best served cold. And I don't think she is going to be putting revenge in the freezer anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, basically Cersei's strategy is bumble. And then whenever there are people that oppose her, she just finds a way to murder them. Yeah, That's exactly. really what she does. Just murder everybody. If, but, if all you guys could just go into the set of Baylor, just, yeah, just, here, I'll meet you in there. Just everyone go in there, and I'll be right there, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just wait for me. Yeah, yeah, I promise, I promise I'll be there. Just yeah. wait. Even if it seems fishy, just, I promise I'll be there. So I'm, I've always been kind of surprised that, you know, that she's gotten as far as she has just by killing everybody. Yeah, but she definitely doesn't. She hasn't gotten anywhere because Cersei is in extremely weak position. Oh yeah, and Jamie says that he's like, well, he's like, I am the queen of the seven kingdoms, and he's like, well, let's think about that because realistically, we have three kingdoms. And I don't really know what the three, what those three are. Yeah, I don't know either. Because so I mean, definitely the kingdom of the rock, which is theirs. Right. And then the you know I guess. The Riverlands is another one, which that That's includes phrase, King's right? Landing. Well, yeah, where the phrase the phrase were the head bannermen, but it was originally the Tullys. Okay, and yeah. Originally the Tullys were the great house in the Riverlands. And then there's the Stormlands where the Baratheons are. That's a kingdom, so maybe oh. that's the third one. But all the Baratheons are actually, yeah, all the Baratheons are dead now, right? Right. So, but but no, but we've never really talked about the Stormlands on Game of Thrones. They don't really seem to care much. But okay. let's call it three. Fine. Okay. Those are the three that I can think of because it's definitely yeah. not the Reach, definitely not Dorne, definitely not the North. Right. And then the Seventh Kingdom is usually the Iron Islands, or some other one that I can't remember honestly. Okay. Uh, somebody that who knows even more about the books will you know, email me Yes. and remind me what the seventh kingdom is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, I mean, this should be easy though for, for Danny. Yeah. This is, this she... should be, she should just be able to just walk in and, you know, take everybody out. Right. Well, okay. So let's talk about that. So the scene, the whole planning scene um, with Tyrion and, uh, it's it was really striking to me seeing the planning scene and then having it just be a whole table surrounded by women because that is like literally the opposite of everything that we've seen leading up to this episode. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't think of that. In every other planning scene, there really is actually, you know what? In fact, the only planning scene I remember a woman being at was Melisandre, right? Or Melisandre? Yeah, Melisandre. Yeah. yeah. 
she was the only one, and that's because she was, you know, whispering sweet nothings into Stannis's ear, trying to get him to do stuff. But she was the only female ever at those planning, those strategy meetings. Yeah, so I mean, really, if you think about it, yeah, most there it's it's uh, Cersei, Olena, Danny, Alaria are all women, and then you've got Euron and Jon are the men. Yep. But then beneath Jon is Sansa. Yeah. So, a lot of men, a lot of women, and it's yeah. a good point. Yeah. And I guess below, below Cersei is Jaime, but you know, yeah. I'm not sure. See, like if Cersei, see what if Cersei gets killed, like what does Jaime even do? I don't think he really carries on the fight, right? Okay, we can talk about this a little bit, and then we can get back to the planning. But there is that whole that whole thing with the prophecy with um with Cersei is that she's going to get killed by her younger sibling. Yeah, so, and, yeah, so like when when Jamie, because Jamie's going to kill Cersei based on uh, yeah, the prophecy. Well, because everyone is, well, not everyone, I should say. I should say Cersei really feels like the person in that prophecy is Tyrion, which right. is why she has such a hatred Tyrion, for him. Yeah, and Tyrion definitely does want to kill Cersei. Oh, totally. So I, I think I think that it's a good plan that Tyrion has. Yeah. It seems to make sense. It definitely, it does. Uh. But what do you think about this whole, like, I'm going to call it hearts and minds versus fire and blood? Hmm. Because in the planning scene, it's Tyrion and Varys who are saying, don't use the dragons, don't take King's Landing, don't right. kill everybody. Right. And Ilaria and Elena, they have very similar names, listeners, I apologize. Yeah. The Tyrell and Dornish leaders <laughs> are saying... Just use the dragons and kill everybody. What do you think about that? So I definitely think um, the Dorn, um, oh God, Alaria. Alaria yeah. is definitely, um, as we've seen with her, she's definitely like, um, it's she's kind of like a shoot first, ask questions later kind of person. Where like she's just like, hey, you suck as a king. Okay, you're dead now. And um, and she's the head of the most annoying house by far, and the most the most annoying leader. Basically, everyone in Dorne now I hate. I don't know about you, but I hate everybody from Dorne. The the king before had some redeeming qualities, but now yeah, but Alaria like, killed him. Exactly. So yes, I I would I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, but, I'd say they're three. If, take her and the two sand snakes like three of the top five most annoying characters in the whole show i yeah i can't I even agree. think of i can't even think of four and five right now i'm sure we could come up with somebody um but, well if we're talking people that are alive that's harder because i was gonna because definitely like of all time john's girlfriend who he ended up killing whatever her name is oh Egret? You, I, you didn't like her yeah you thought she was annoying if i had to hear one more time that john snow knows nothing i was gonna fucking throw my remote at the tv wow that's like a nine and ten on the one through t one through five list compared to the uh, same maybe things. it was just maybe it's just that that phrase that annoyed me but but I, yeah people that are currently alive because most of the annoying characters die off yeah. You don't make it very long if you're annoying. No. I wonder so, if they yeah. do that. I wonder if they listen to like fan reactions. They're like, oh, yeah. this was a bad character. Yeah, that would be interesting. Like uh, Shay was really annoying too. Yeah. A lot of women. There's There's got to be some annoying men. Like, is was Hot Pie annoying? No. Well, when we get to Hot Pie, Hot Pie was the MVP this episode. He was. Hot Pie is always the MVP, though, when it comes to just, like, I'm not <laughs> really involved in this. I'm just here to, like, make some bread and just chill. Which is exactly what the person who's involved in the scene needs to not go headfirst into a den full of, in this case, lions and get killed, a.k.a. Arya Stark. Right. So, I mean, at, at the until I want to I wanna save the, the, the battle scene to the end. Yeah, obviously. Because obviously we find out that it wasn't a good strategy. 
But at the, no. at the middle of the episode, I thought, okay, this is gone. We're, we're going here. Yeah, no, Tyrion's, definitely. Tyrion's on top of this because all we've ever been told is that Tyrion is the smartest. Yeah. Varys agrees with the strategy. He's also yep. the smartest. So this should be easy. Yeah. It's easy. So, so definitely, if we're staying in Dragonstone, Dragonstone Keep, um, just really quick aside, that the sex scene with Grey Worm. Oh, God. I'm, All right. Yeah. I'm calling it now, due to horror movie logic, because Grey Worm had sex with, um, what's her name? Um, Sandy. Yeah. Because he had sex with her, he's dead. He's oh, definitely well, going to die. Yeah. I mean... You can't have a super annoying monologue where you talk about the fact that you used to be like fearless and then you fell in love with somebody and now you're not now you're afraid of stuff now. Right. And not die. Yeah. He's definitely like, going to die. And then no like Masande, I don't know what what she does. Cuz I never understood this. Why why are they in love? Why do um, they write this this love thing between them? Can they not just like be advisors do they have to fall in love i mean is it what's the point of this love this love thing uh, you got me i really don't get it. I, I like just... him seeing her naked and he was just like love at first nakedness i don't know i mean it really sucks for that actress too she's the only one that still has to be naked that's true no one else has. There's been no full frontal except for her, like a pretty long time. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. You know, I think like Cersei is naked, but they, you know they've they've really cut down on the gratuity of the nakedness. Yeah, you know, it's Amelia only Clark doesn't have to be naked anymore. She was like very adamant, like no more naked scenes unless it's like really really important. Well, because pretty much all of season one and two is her just naked. Just coming out of water or something, and she's just naked all the time. Yeah. And it's just silly. Yeah. And this scene was silly. I'm sorry. It was. It was not. Like I said, the only reason why I wanted to talk about it is just to, like, put a stamp in that Grey Worm is going to be biting the dust. The, the um, coffin maker has already taken his measure, measurements. The tombstone is awaiting to be put in place. Well, why keep him alive? Because before he didn't really have anything to do besides be the head of the Unsullied. But right. fine. There's a lot of like second tier characters on Game of Thrones, like in the books yeah. that like have names, but are not like crucial. And some of them they got rid of entirely. And some yeah. of them they elevated to like the main cast. And Grey Worm and Missande made the cut, but they didn't really need to. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's just to add more storylines and to get people like to kind of flesh out other characters other than the main. I mean, I guess somebody you know. has to follow Danny around. Yeah, I mean, it it is good to know like who's in Danny's camp other than just Danny and Tyrion. And I mean, I know we and we know Varys, but um, but before that, they needed characters with Danny because she had. Um, go on, um, and that was pretty much it. It was just him, and then so they needed someone who like helped her, and definitely she needed another female because Danny's all about the female empowerment. Yeah. All right. I just think it's dumb writing. It's lazy. Yeah. You know, they're both good looking. I mean, the Missandei actress is incredibly good looking. But mm -hmm. geez, I mean, just, but just, just why? I just want to know why. So there's no answer to that though. So four movies. Um, can we talk about that Sam scene with the um, with, with the uh, the affliction of Sir Jorah? Yeah, I, I want to talk about this. So this is an incredibly deadly, incurable disease, right? Yeah. Where they have like these leper colonies, where there's like these the zombies from 28 days later are there yes. and like it's super scary and you don't survive it if you're not a baby, blah, 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 blah. And then John, uh, and then sorry. And then Sam finds the cure in a book and the cure is cut off the infected skin 
and apply ointment? Yes. I mean, obviously, really? I'm sure it's like a specific ointment, but if you think really? about it, well, okay, but hold on here. I'm going to actually like, I actually agree with this, but because I feel like Jorah was, I mean, if you think about it, Jorah's gone through a hell of a lot since meeting Danny, and he's had to put up with it a lot, but he does it because of his love for Danny. And if anyone was going to endure getting their skin pretty much torn off um, to be able to be reunited with someone, it was Jorah. Um, so I feel like pretty much that was his only, the only way that he was able to get cured by this without dying from just pain, um, is because he loved Danny just way too much. Do people even remember who Jorah is? I hope Jorah's so. been a very difficult character on Game of Thrones. I don't like, feel like it. What's the best scene he's been in? Like, what's a memorable Jorah Mormont scene? He's just always around. He is just always around. I just think that most, for most people, he doesn't have the panache of, like, of a Tyrion. He's just not memorable. He's there because, you know, in the beginning, like, he just serves a story purpose. And then they decided to get rid of him with this whole grayscale thing. But I don't know, like, I don't know. It didn't hit me. What hit me more emotionally was Sam, which they didn't actually do. The, the, the actors just kind of like, the actors did a good job. They kind of played like there was more there. But like, I would have loved if like Jorah had asked Sam, like, how did my father die? Like, I thought that would have been really awesome because that's like that's Jorah's character too right that like he had this father who's like the ultimate honorable person served in the Night's Watch blah 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 and then he like let his house go to ruin and he had to go into exile and like send his sword back to his father which now John has and like you know yeah and he loves Danny like unconditionally but Danny's never really acknowledged that in the show. Yeah, she definitely is like, like very like, almost like off put by it. Like that she doesn't like it's definitely not reciprocated like to that degree. Yeah. Um, it it's it, it is a very strange relationship between the two. I'm not rooting. I I guess I just emotionally I'm not in it with Jorah. It yeah, just doesn't he, strike me as deserving of this much screen time. Yeah. It's kind of a nice tie-in with Sam. Like, what else would Sam be doing? But again, it's the connection between Sam serving his father and Jorah having great yeah. skill. And I, I'm not going to lie, it was only this episode that I realized that Jorah and the little girl who... I, oh my God, that girl, the little Morma that um yeah, is name, her name is Liana, I think, right? Yeah, she oh my God steals the scene every time she's on screen. Like yeah, she is amazing. But I, this was the first episode where I put together that Jora and her were related. I'm like, oh my God. So I don't know why I just got that when watching this, but yeah. I don't even think people are gonna remember. The you know Gior Mormont, the, the head of the Night's Watch. That was three yeah. seasons ago at this point. Yeah, no. And I, I to be honest, I he was Lord I, Commander Mormont, but they never really said Jorah Mormont that much. Yeah, no, so, they just said Sir Jorah. Sir Jorah, right? He's always yeah, just Jorah. I would be I would be curious to go back and see, or at least look up when was the first time that we found out Jorah's last name. Like, obviously, if you read the books, you're like, oh, well, yes, Jorah Mormont, son of this, of house this. And uh, as a viewer... I'm going to say it was pretty early, though. Yeah? Okay. Because cause in in season one, like, they Ned wants to know, like, where they get the information from that Danny's pregnant. And Varys oh. says, from Jorah Mormont. And Ned oh, says, okay. that guy, he has no honor. 
Yeah. I tried okay, to, I I tried to execute him for slavery and he ran away, you know? That was in season yeah. one. But I remember that. Yeah, but that, come on, like no you know again. But I'm yeah. there's there are a lot of times when I feel like they try to dumb things down, but then other times they really stretch it and they try to get us to remember things that there's just no way that people are gonna gonna remember. I mean No. So that there you go. I don't know. I don't understand. I just never get it with the with this writing and what the hell they're trying to do. Well, I definitely going along with what you're saying about Sam. Sam definitely like in this whole him being um, a maester really emphasizes the fact that based off of what we've seen, Sam is the noblest character on the show, hands down. And he does. He fought, he fought one White Walker, and that was it. Otherwise, he's done nothing in terms of fighting, but he is just a very noble and gallant person where he just is, like, always putting other people ahead of himself. Very selfless. Yeah. And you cannot say that about very many characters on this show from season one to now. Yeah, I think, you know... Purely selfless, incredibly kind people. It's like, yeah, it's a short list. Yes. John and and you know John and uh, and Sam come to mind. Yeah, uh, I. Brienne. Yes, that's true. You know, but not many. No. So definitely, um, the with the whole like, were you, okay. Just an aside, were you squeamish while watching that scene with him cutting the, like, it almost looked like scabs, basically, with him cutting the scabs off? Definitely when they, when they, like, when the pus came out of the one, one of them, uh-huh. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the pus, like, I was just glad that they made it gross. Well, yeah, and the practical effects were awesome. Yeah. Like, I love practical effects. Like, I love the thing. It's like the the 1980s movie the thing like it but just because of the practical effects like there's very little in that movie of like digital things where in this show there's a lot of digital stuff with the whole dragons and most of the fight scenes but when they do practical effects i absolutely love it yeah that was a good one for sure yeah and that transition from from the (laughs) awesome scabs that was so amazing I'm surprised that people like really latched onto that. That was a big thing on the internet. Yeah. People were like, I, I, you know, I will never be able to eat again. Like, just <laughs> food is gross now. But uh, well, yeah. okay, the director of this episode was, or has this person directed like horror movies before? Because I definitely got that vibe from that scene. From, like, the whole transition and just the act of him, like, cutting it off, it seemed like it, you could have, if you took that scene out of context and you just showed it to someone randomly without them having any knowledge or seeing the actors, I guarantee most of them would say that it was a horror movie. That's funny. Yeah. They definitely, I mean, Game of Thrones takes a lot from horror movies in terms of just the heavy-handedness of the plot. Yeah. I mean... Just because we know what's going to happen 90% of the yeah. time. It's true. And, you know, so I could see. I, I see the horror elements you're going with. Uh, you know, George R. R. Martin is a big horror guy. And, oh, I didn't know that. Well, he's, he, yeah, and he was, he's also, um, you know, he was a TV writer. So he's very versatile. Like, there are some really great, like, there there's a scene in the books, um, where they actually do go through like the 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 place where the the gray people are the people that have gray scale yeah and it's like super super scary you know in the books Jorah's not there at all so whatever it's a totally different oh. thing but okay. uh, yeah there's actually a whole another character that they that they cut out he's another one of those like tier two characters that they just cut uh-huh. out and they merged him with Jorah kind of interesting and that guy is the one that has gray scale in the books it's you know it doesn't really matter but uh, that's a really scary scene. Yeah. With the with them like jumping out of the water and stuff, and like Tyrion gets pulled under under the water, and they're like, you know, it's kind of like uh, 
it's it's a little bit faster paced, but in terms of the things being under the water, it's like when they're uh, when Sam, Gollum, uh, and Frodo are in the swamplands, and Frodo gets pulled under the water by like the spirits. Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 Because that's scary as fuck to this day to me. Those things are fucking scary. Yeah, I definitely was um, not expecting that in a Lord of the Rings movie when I saw it the first time. Yeah, so let's uh, let's move on. So that, that cut gets us to Arya. Yeah, and as I said before, the MVP of the episode, Hot Pie. So yeah, let's get, give me your best Hot Pie MVP argument. So you're saying well, you're saying he won the week. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so just to give like the listeners some background knowledge, uh, Arya is Arya Stark is my favorite character. Uh, she's definitely someone who I've rooted with the whole time. Um, just the whole thing with her becoming an assassin and that whole thing, I was just so fascinated by and so into. So the reason why Hot Pie is the MVP is because if Hot Pie was not there, Arya would have gone to King's Landing and very likely would have been killed. That's why he's the MVP. Interesting. Yeah. So, why, if Arya is this unstoppable assassin, what makes you think that she can't just go and kill Cersei? She can't. I, let's let's be honest although Arya has had a, an amazing string of her killing people and getting away with it it's it's kind of like you know using up your luck like that whole thing where like that whole superstition like I know with dice for example like people will some people believe that like if you roll a die too many times then you're using up the luck for the dice yeah and so if she she's on a hot streak right now, she is going down that list. She is knocking names off. But this is just like we see at the end here. I know like it's it's way up high for a lot of the people that we're rooting for, but it definitely is going to take a downward swing before it goes back up again, before the season is over. And if Arya went to King's Landing, she would have been killed through just any just however it happens i don't know i mean i can't really argue with you but i'm pretty sure that popeye saved cersei's life right there because i don't see what stops Arya from just transforming into jamie and killing cersei oh that's a good point i didn't think about her transforming into jamie uh jamie that would be ooh, that'd be interesting Okay, now with that with that being said, would if Arya transformed into Jamie and killed Cersei, would she be fulfilling the prophecy that she would get killed by her younger brother? If that actually happened, then yes, but this is clearly saying now that Arya is not going to kill Cersei. But people did think that that was that was a possibility. Interesting. That that would be how you know, Cersei is because Cersei, you know, eventually Arya is going to go north and she's going to meet the Hound. Because what I was going to say is, so far, everybody that Arya has put on that list, besides, like, a couple characters, she's killed or have got or have died in some other manner, you know. There's a sense among people, among fans, that everyone on that list will die. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's just, that you know, that was just one of those circumstances that that prolong Cersei's life um I don't see what stops Arya I because but also I'm a little I'm always concerned because I think Arya is going to die too but I did think she was going to kill Cersei if she if she went to King's Landing you know I don't know what you know because Arya doesn't have any other real powers except for just like stealth and like surprise Mm -hmm. you know I think Ed Sheeran could kill Arya Oh my God! You know, well, if maybe if Ed Sheeran was on for more than just one episode yeah. and just showed up for one scene and then was like, "Oh, okay, I'm all set." So who do you think? Uh, who do you think kills Arya now? Like Bruno Mars? 
Oh, I, I'm holding out for Justin Timberlake. That would be the ultimate get. <laughs> you know, Justin wants to break in. He's still still trying to be an actor after all these years. He can only do it if after he kills Arya, he says, bye, bye, bye. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure if Justin Timberlake killed Arya, that would be the end of all of his careers. <laughs> I don't think he could ever work again. If he That's true. Arya. People, people, he'd go, he'd, you know, you'd go to his concerts. People would say, wait, didn't you kill Arya Stark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so weird. Why are they doing cameos? What is up I with don't that? I know. I hope it's not some. Everybody recognized him immediately. Well, yeah. And it, it really, like, and this is, so there are some times where cameos get worked in and cameos work and they help the movie and they don't detract from it. But with him, it was noticeable. It, like, halted the show. It was like, oh, hold on a second, guys. Let's all take a break and recognize that he's here, Ed Sheeran is here, and that, you know, he has to have a scene where he sings. It, it just, like, put the brakes on the show and really just was not beneficial. I really think that it was that someone, like, owed him a favor, and he called in that favor and was like, I want on Game of Thrones. And they're like, God damn it. <sighs> okay, fine. You can come on. It was amazing. Honestly, it just, again, it's one of those things where I question their judgment. Because yeah. I just don't get it. I just don't understand why you would put Ed Sheeran on Game of Thrones. You know? there, it's I'm not sure funny. Like, like when Stephen Colbert was in The Hobbit, it was funny. Yeah. You were like, oh, that's Stephen Colbert. That's awesome. This was not yeah. that. No. Also, Stephen Colbert is a legendary Lord of the Rings fan. Right. You know? Is Ed Sheeran a legendary Game of Thrones fan? I've never heard. I have no idea if he likes even likes the show. He must like it if he's on it, but... Is he from Northern I, I mean, Ireland or something? I, I, I would have to do more research on it, yeah. but I just I just didn't... Even if he was, it's still not... Un, that's not a good enough reason why... Well, you notice that at the end of that episode that the producers... Um, our directors, writers didn't go on and be like, oh yeah, well Ed Sheeran was here because we we um, like they didn't explain why he was there. No. Just gonna let us all complain about it. Yep. Like normal. Anything else on Arya? Um, no. Oh well, then later on she has that that quick scene with um, Namira, which. I know a lot of people were talking about that. Like, oh my God! Dude. Yeah, you're like, right. So there was all those um, those clickbait websites where it's like, oh, the scene that no one will forget with Arya. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that we're talking about um, Nymeria. But then what happened? I mean, obviously there uh, is symbolism behind Nymeria leaving Arya and and going off with her pack. Well, okay, so what do you think the symbolism behind her doing that with Arya is? There's Why just, did they do that? I thought that, that they would, like, reunite. Because there's a, a deep amount of symbolism in that the wolves are their protectors. Mm -hmm. And they share, like, a special connection with them. It's, it's left unsaid why Nymeria doesn't stay with Arya? Does it have something to do with embracing this dark assassin stuff? It would seem like that they would want to be together, to me. So I think with the whole Namira thing is that Namira has kind of gone off and done her own thing, and she has a path that she's part of and leading, and it's kind of showing that Arya has to go and find her own way, and she can't be relying on old people that she knew. So maybe it's kind of saying that Arya shouldn't go up north, even though it every sign is pointing to her, Arya going up north and, you know, meeting up with Sansa and John. Yeah. I mean, what's that going to be like? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think she's going to lead with, Oh, Hey guys, I was, you know, with a group of assassins and, uh, called the right. It's the faceless men. Yeah. Oh yeah, I just I just hung out with them for a while and you know, I was one of them and then like I wanted to leave and so what what have you been up to? Yeah, I'm just really surprised. I mean I, I thought that 
I know that she is Arya Stark. For her to just drop her revenge and go north just seems strange to me that she yeah. would do that. She definitely loves Jon the most, so. True. Um, you know, finding out that Jon is alive and he's king of the north, you know, maybe maybe she does want, want to go and check in with him first. Kind of sucks now that Jon's going to be going to Dragonstone stupidly. I mean, I guess we'll see. I said before that, you know, revenge is always a very dangerous thing in fiction. Yeah. So I've been really concerned about Arya's health this season. Her going to Winterfell, good thing. I do want to bring up one possibility here, that Arya is now going to kill Littlefinger. Ooh. What do you think about that? I did not think about that. And especially with the next part where, like, if we start talking about the whole thing with like the king in the north and John, like so, um, yeah, that definitely. Oh, I did not even think about that. That is definitely something that I agree with. That I think that it is because, but he's not on her list, right? No. Okay, so then let's. Um, so with that in mind, what about the whole thing with the king, the whole king in the north scene, and John saying that he was gonna leave? How'd you feel about that? Why is Sansa so fucking stupid? It's really hard to want to back Sansa and to, like, agree with her. Just because we've been through so much with Jon and we've experienced things through his eyes. Like, we've seen the White Walkers. We know that they're real. And, you know, his fear is legitimate. Um, And it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, Sansa, you're so right. Let's listen to you because she honestly doesn't know. She, I really don't feel like she really believes that John saw that stuff. Or it's, It is really hard. Sansa is, okay, I will say that being a teacher, and if I had a, a student teacher, for example, that was Sansa, and Sansa, my student teacher, did that to me in front of kids, holy crap. The amount of respect that I would lose being undermined like that, holy cow. Yeah. Um, that was like, if you were not his sister, um, you would be kicked out immediately. That was not okay. And that makes it worse. Yeah. Because he's not a Stark. You know, right. he's and in a tough position. Have, and you have a Stark openly defying you and openly going against what you're saying and in this case it actually is a bad idea just on the merits but john has half a death wish and half just i have to take this kind of risk Mm -hmm. i don't have time to wait and send a courier or an envoy i have to go myself I really don't feel like danny would be open to a courier coming it would be like yeah, that whole bending the knee thing, no, we're not about that, and we're going to, um, we just need your glass, so, yeah. If you could just hand that over, that'd be great. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just a very tough situation for John. The Northerners, I just, I, I'm I'm concerned about him. This is the Night's Watch all over again. Mm-hmm. He, it's he true. Just can't, he can't bring them along. They're just not... They're not. There are certain things that they're just not going to go along with. They're not going to survive. And most of the Northerners are not going to survive. I'm just going to put put that out there that they are going to die. Um, when the White Walkers come, um, oh wait, really quick because I know you talked about it during first the first episode. Were there any references to the wall coming down, or the, or sorry, I should say the opposite, the wall being really, really strong, even though they're, as you said, extremely subtle about these things? In the um, second there, episode, they didn't mention it. They didn't? Not in the second episode. Okay, all right. I was just making sure. When the wall comes down the, and the White Walkers come, the Northerners are going to just join the ranks of the undead army. All right, yeah, that's... It's not unlikely because the wall is definitely coming down. Oh, totally. So then I don't even know, like, where does the last stand take place? Like, the <sighs> neck is a, is a decent, for, from the books, like, that's a decent place that you could think of because it, it's a natural choke point between the north and the south. Right. But the, the zombies can just walk underwater. 
Yeah, I don't think the topography is going to be an issue for them. Yeah. There's like this island. King's King's Landing is probably going to be the most iconic place where like in and a battle would take place just because it always is like it's always it's almost referencing that it's the center of the universe kind of thing where it's, everything's in relation to King's Landing. It just always seems like the most important part, the most important set, I guess. Yeah. Is, is King's Landing. Yeah, there's this island in the middle of the biggest lake in the Seven Kingdoms. The, there, there aren't a lot of lakes in the Seven Kingdoms. There's a lot of rivers. Mm-hmm. So there, there's this one lake, not very big, but it's it's a little bit north of King's Landing. It's, it's called the God's Eye, and there's this island called the Isle of Faces oh. where the first men and the children of the forest like signed their peace pact. Okay, well, knowing that, then that definitely means that Bran is definitely going to have to get down there. And then there's going to be something where they have to do, like, the whole... Like, if you remember in Warcraft 3, where it's like, okay, you have to hold this position for this amount of time and survive as long as possible. It's definitely going to be one of those, where it's like Bran's battling the, the Night King, like, in his mind or something like that. And he's warging to people or... There's going to be something where, like, they have to be on the island and they're defending the island. It's possible. I mean, I don't think they've said the word, the words Isle of Faces one time on the show. Hmm. So it would be kind of tough to, like, bring it up now. Maybe but, uh, if they bring it up now, okay, I can, I will forgive them if they bring it up now in relation to Bran, just because he has, he is the Three-Eyed Raven and he is so connected with that whole thing with the um, the people of the forest. Oh, and actually, wait, isn't the Night King one of those people? Didn't we see that in a flashback? The children of the forest created the White Walkers out of human beings, not out of themselves. Oh, is that? Okay, so am I just remembering the... I'm probably remembering the flashback incorrectly then. That must the be what The flashback when they turn the... When the, the Night King, like, touches the baby and it, its eyes turn blue... Yes, I remember that one. The one I'm thinking of is when the um, the children of the forest stab that person with um, that dagger or something, and he turns into the Night King. I thought that was a guy. Like I thought was that it? was a, the, a I thought that was a human. It was a human. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, then that makes sense then. Yeah. So, but again, I definitely feel like you saying that that definitely makes sense. It's possible. I mean, you know, they changed so many things at this point. Yeah, they're definitely they definitely are doing what they want. So we'll see if that actually comes to fruition. Yeah, honestly, we still don't have the book answer about what the the White Walkers are anyway. Well, we'll see if we, we ever haven't get got there. there. We'll see if we ever get there. Yeah, I don't even know. Whatever. I don't even know why I talk about the books at this point. <laughs> Um, so I do have to say that the whole thing with John going down this and again with the directors and writers being very subtle, this was definitely the moment that Littlefinger was waiting for. This was his, him recognizing, oh, well, John's leaving so I can, you know, do my stuff without really notice. Because, I mean, obviously Sansa doesn't trust him, but how much is Sansa going to be like actively watching him and making sure that he's not doing not up to something yeah so I definitely feel like that ties into what you were saying about Arya going and killing Littlefinger because I feel like he's going to be up to something and he's not going to take into ooh what if that was the reveal like that Arya goes and kills Littlefinger just as he's about to like you know, kill someone or do something, and she just, you know, basically she's um, um, incognito as a person, and she kills them, and then she, like, unmasks herself, and Arya saves the day. It's possible. It'd be interesting. There's definitely a lot of people that could kill, like, you know, Brienne could definitely kill him. Yes. I think Littlefinger is going to eat it soon. I hope so. There's going to be so many people that are going to die. And so far, the only people that have died are stupid people like the Sand Snakes. Yeah. And we need, there's going to be other deaths. Yeah. So let's just talk about 
Yeah. The final battle. The final battle. Let's just get to it. Okay. So I guess the way well, that wait, you like – I mean I've never captained a, a, a fleet of ships. Do we want to talk before about them being on the ship and that whole that sex pun about yeah. and how ridiculous that sex pun was? That, yeah, I, that's where I was going. Like, I mean, clearly when you're the head of an armada, you just spend all of your time canoodling <laughs> with like sexy Dornish women, right? Yeah. Do clearly. you have any like lookouts or anything? <laughs> yeah. So the whole thing with Euron, like, is, I don't know, is there, like, a like a sea god? Because it definitely seems like he, like, made a deal with someone for him to have this insane power. Because if you watch it, it's like they're just roaming around, they're, you know, sailing through the ocean, and then this, like, crazy fog follows him. It's almost It almost reminds me of, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, like, uh, when the Black Pearl shows up. Yeah. And it has the curse crew that, like, they bring with them the weather. It almost seems like that. And because how the fuck else does a whole armada of ships just appear and just decimate an entire fleet? Yeah. I, I really don't, don't understand how this happened at all. No. First of all, I know that no one gives a fuck about this, but I just have to say it. Okay, the geography of Westeros. There's maps. Okay, we know where mm-hmm. things are. Okay. Yeah. And Dragonstone is at the mouth of the bay that leads to King's Landing, and it's not like okay. a really wide mouth. There's on the south part. There's a, a little arm of land. It's pretty uh-huh. narrow, and Dragonstone's right in the middle of it. Basically, Dragonstone okay. protects the bay to get to King's Landing. So huh. there's no freaking way that they sailed 700 ships whatever it's supposed to be a thousand ships but who knows if he has all of them with him that they got by dragonstone without anybody noticing well is no it chance. that he's already he had already been there because clearly that's what like he last episode he was in king's landing and talking to cersei and he was like oh i'm gonna bring you a gift yeah and, and then he left um, and, and clearly he left and and somehow caught up with yara and theon's fleet yeah so he sailed past Dragonstone twice already to do that. Huh. Maybe like yeah. 50 miles at most. I, I don't get it. There was a lot of this fight that that got me like upset. First off, let's just talk about the ships. How the fuck were they able to make so many of these ships where... Like, the intricacies in just his ship alone. They're massive ships, right? Yeah. How? With, and they, like, crazy numbers of sails and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And he built them, and they have catapults on them that fire these fireballs <laughs> that launch miles away. How the fuck does this happen? I know. How? I know. I do not – I was really frustrated watching it. It's, it's – whatever. The people don't – I just assume that this is the kind of stuff that I'm going to say is stupid. And it's going to keep happening for the rest of the show. It will. I'm just going to have to get over it, but I just can't. So you're going to have to listen to me. I'm sorry. Yes. But that is stupid. It is. First of all, there's not that many. I don't think there's enough trees. There are enough trees on on the Iron Islands to build a thousand ships. Oh, my God. Like, God. There just aren't. Do you know how many thousand ships? That's That's a fuck ton of ships. Yeah, we need it. Okay, did someone order an Amazon worth of trees um to be made into boards and then made into ships like if we realistically like look up how long it takes a ship to be made like just a regular ship not even one that has like a battering a whole battering spear and this whole bridge that comes down and squashes someone which, by the way, I was really like, really, dude, you just sat there and we're like, oh, wow, that thing's coming straight for me. Well, crap. That was, I was like, oh, my God, dude. Maybe it's an exaggeration. Uh, I don't know. How many ships do you think were in the Spanish Armada? If you had to guess. That I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, 200. Yeah, something in that range. I looked it up on Wikipedia. It says 130 ships. I wrote that down. That was supposed to be the biggest, you know, Navy ever. 
yeah. the biggest navy ever. And that was in late 1500s, which is past the technological era that the show exists in. Yes. But whatever, fine. There's a ton of ships. They're super advanced. They have crazy numbers of weapons, and they have awesome sails that I'm not even sure would really work in real life. Have you ever seen a ship that has sails like coming off the sides of the ship? No. I've never seen that. I don't know if that would work. But whatever. Fine. Fine. Give me all that because at least the Sand Snakes ate it. They did. At least so with you're... all of this stupid stuff that happened that makes no sense. At least it... the Sand Snakes died. Because the dumbest thing to do is to fight with a fucking whip. And that's it. And you don't have any, anything else to fight with except for a whip. Because that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, what, what are you? And your sister is so annoying with her stupid spear. And she got her ass kicked. Oh, yeah. God almighty. The I'm trying to think of a character that only uses a whip and is, like, effective at killing people. Indiana Jones has a whip. But he also has a gun he has that a gun. he uses yeah, to shoot he punches people with people swords. And it, the whip is for fun. It's not, this is my whip. How will you right. ever defeat me? Now, what they should have done with the whip is made it, I don't know why they didn't turn it into like cattails or like had it where at the end it has barbs on it. I've seen that. A good example, um, I don't know what you, okay, you've seen Kill Bill, right, Frank? Yeah. Okay, so when she fights Gogo, and Gogo has that crazy ball at the end of the chain, and and it turns into like a spike, or it's got like blades on it and stuff, like that was really cool. Like you can do stuff like that, and you can attach like barbs to whips and stuff to make them more effective, because it literally rends the flesh. Yeah, I yeah, fine. Even if it has whips, whatever you want to, whatever, even if it has barbs, I mean, I don't care. It's still stupid. It is. And I'm glad they're dead. They are dead. It's worth, but you know, somehow, I, 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 Tyrion placed his trust in their sailing abilities, I guess. I guess, yeah. It's such a strange way to do it, to, to do it, you know? Like, we're just supposed to accept it on, on face value. It's Euron, and they're just like, oh, Euron's here. And they just, like, (laughs) They just kind of flail and die. Well, I'm waiting for the reveal that he, there's got to be something, like, more to him. It's not that he is, like, God's gift to sailing, and he is just the most amazing naval captain ever made. There's something more. There's something, like, magical or supernatural about him and how his whole fleet was, like, cloaked in a fog and... Again, those fireballs firing a mile away with pinpoint accuracy to not hit any ships other than the um, the enemy ships. It's a good, like, it's an interesting concept. I can't see how they could possibly bring that up at this point. That he like, yeah, well, how does it work in the you know the Davy Jones lock? I don't even want to get into it to be honest, because <laughs> if we start talking about Pirates of the Caribbean lore on this show, I, I'll probably just have a stroke. You know? Well, well, you probably haven't seen the newest movie, but oh, no, no, no. that law out the window anyway. So, <laughs> so wait, the the seven pirates, they each, no, sorry, the nine pirates, they each have a thing, and if they have all the things together, then they summon a giant monster. Totally, yeah. And Calypso was in this, was trapped in this, um, see that this voodoo priestess the whole time. But right, right, we right, really, right. really, really realized it in the third movie, because in the second movie, she doesn't say anything at all. She's just a really cool character. But hey, let's just, let's bring her back. And that's how we're going to shoot her, shoehorn her into this movie. It sounds as plausible as sailing your giant fleet. You're on Long Island, or you're in <laughs> Connecticut, and you're sailing like past Long Island, like through New York. Like, it's mm-hmm. that close. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like you look out on the harbor and you see all the ships there. That's how close it is. So Manhattan is suddenly under siege by a a Russian, you know, battleship that just sailed into sailed yeah, up. Yeah, no one saw it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then it sailed so back I, in. It sailed back. Yes. Oh god. Well, 
I don't know what else to say. It's Game of Thrones. We're just going to have to – we deal with it. We love it for what it is. Yeah. But it's just not the, It's just not what I want, Kev. No, it's – it's. it was really cool to watch. It was frustrating, but um, but it is what it is. I mean, the Greyjoys were decimated, so there goes that whole branch of, of Danny's army. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that – all of the captured people are going straight to King's Landing. We this is clearly the present that um, Euron had sure. promised. Sure, sure. And we'll see what Cersei has in plan in mind for them. Yeah. Which I'm sure, with her being on the road to Mad Kingdom, um, that it's got to be enjoyable to watch. Yeah, so, like, are the Tyrells, like, already marching to Winterfell, uh, King's Landing, or are they waiting for the Dornish to start? Oh, Part I of, Some of the logistics of the plan, I guess, I didn't really understand, but probably doesn't even matter. Probably not. Any final thoughts on episode two? Uh, I mean, we're, I, so, looking forward to, to episode three, John and Danny, obviously are going to meet at some point, but I think John, it's a good, it's a good prediction that I feel like John would go, would join up with Danny and I, I, you know, but I don't even know how that would work. John joining Danny and then marching on King's Landing. Cause I don't, I don't feel like, I, I don't know. I'm really, yeah. Cause the Northmen aren't really leaving the North, right? No, they're not. It, it's, things were looking well the writers of the show love to do this to us where they're like oh the character's fine oh great example is ned stark everyone's like oh ned will be fine that'll be fine and then all of a sudden he's dead and you're like holy crap and so this i think is the the part the downward swing for danny where it's like well Danny was doing awesome. She conquered all of the other continent and is ready to come over here. She came over un, um, unchecked, and so now she's going to wreak havoc and sweep. But that's clearly not what the writers have in store for us. Yeah, I don't know. I'm worried about Danny. Well, that's all I got. Well, I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to keep taking notes. I'm going to keep, you know fact-checking the the ability of creating thousands of ships and the logistics of that. <laughs> in in what time frame, too? How long yeah. did it take them to build all those ships? I mean, I granted, I know that we did time jumps, but I don't think we did that many time jumps, or at least I was not. They did not um, convey that accurately to us, the time jump that it would take for an entire nation to build ships that quickly. Just one line of dialogue, Kevin. That's all we need. <laughs> that's it. That's all you need. Explain it Euron well. will just be like, yeah, that's how we built them, guys. Well, for Euron, for his shipbuilders, <laughs> for Kevin Blomberg, I'm Frank Malafrante. Kevin, this was this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I definitely look forward to doing this again. Yeah. If you would also like to be a guest on this amazing podcast, I hope. You can email me at frankmalpod at gmail.com. That's frank, M-A-L-P-O-D, at gmail.com. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.